I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Well, good early afternoon. I'm so glad you're here to worship with us at the University Church. I hope you're having a wonderful day as we continue in our series 10. 10 today, generous as we look through the eyes of Jesus at the Ten Commandments. Some of you know where we are, others may not. We are at the Eighth Commandment in the King James Version. You can remember it, I'm sure. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. Today, we look at this commandment again through the eyes of Jesus, and we'll start with a word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you very much for your love, for your blessings, for your presence. As we listen for your voice, we pray that you would be here as you've promised, that you would bless us deeply, that you would grow us and challenge us, and not leave us unchanged. We pray all this in request of your spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. Well, we have regularly started these explorations of the Ten Commandments by thinking about the Jesus who, when he came to this earth, would say, you've heard it said, but I say, right? You have heard it said, but I say. What would he do with this, the Eighth Commandment? Thou shalt not steal. You've heard it said, but, but I say, remember now, this is the same Jesus who was there in Exodus 20, who voiced the Ten Commandments. So we could hear him say, you have heard me say, but I say now, I have more to tell you now. And of course, he would start those Ten Commandments in the first verse of Exodus 20, as we've mentioned in the past, by simply saying, I am the Lord God who has freed you. I am the Lord God who brought you out of slavery. So now let me teach you how to be free, to live free. So what would he say? Some of us might, might consider expanding on what is often thought of as stealing. I don't know, as I look out on, among us here, how many uh, have, have had a moment where you have burgled someone's house. Exactly. Uh, at least, <laughs> by the way, burgled, it just makes me giggle. I don't know why, but... You probably, like me, have not uh, felt like you've just maybe substantively broken this commandment, but we could press it further, right? Uh, I, I, I did, as I've confessed before, I did take from my older brother a stick of gum from his prized pack of gum. And I remember as a very, very small child, finding a secret place in a closet. I actually prayed for forgiveness just before popping that piece of gum. I think I had the order (laughs) kind of messed up. Some of us would say, well, 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 you know, we could go further than just thinking about stealing goods. What about intellectual property? What about saying that it was your idea when it wasn't? What about typing into some search a strand that you would like a report written on that can now be done? 
And claiming something is yours when it actually wasn't. Others of us were like, we can even press further in terms of what theft could be. What about the theft of stealing away from a person's reputation by the things we say? Still others of us would, re- would remind the group, you know, we think about stealing from people, but you can actually, you can steal from God. As Malachi would say, would you rob God? We could, we could steer this, especially with a title like generous, into a conversation about tithe and offerings, and well, we might, but could it be there's even something a little bit more to focus on that Jesus might have for us to consider today, you've heard me say, thou shalt not steal. Today I say this to you, lift. Lift, I, you, you might not have any idea where I'm coming from here, so I'll, I'll, I'll take you back. I bumped into a poem, almost 130 years old at this point, written by a woman published in a city newspaper It's entitled, Two Kinds of People, by Ella Wheeler Wilcox. There might be somebody here who's familiar with it. Again, (coughs) it's not from our time. I I did once hear that somebody say, you know there are two kinds of people. The kinds of people who think there are only two kinds of people, and the rest. (laughs) But all the way back in 1896, Ella published this poem. I'll just pull out an excerpt from the poem, Two Kinds of People. There are two kinds of people on earth today, just two kinds of people, no more, I say. Not, well, let me see if we can transfer screens. Not the sinner and the saint, for it's well understood. The good are half bad and the bad are half good. No, the two kinds of people on earth I mean are the people who lift and the people who lean. Her poem goes on to describe the difference, the people who lift and the people who lean. But you probably don't need that explanation. Is there anybody on your li- in your life? Now, of course, we love it when people we care about know they can lean on us. Do you know anybody who it, it actually is the title of their life? That they are, they lean. Always. And forever. And only. Even when they could lift, they will lean. As if the world, maybe even you, owe them something. Do you know that? Have you felt that? When, in fact, you'll be doing something and you'll see them coming from a distance and it just washes over you. Have you had that kind of Christian internal conversation? Is it right that I don't actually want to get eye contact with a leaner? Again, I'm not talking about somebody who truly deeply needs your help and sometimes the leaner actually does, but the leaner never stops that posture. It's all about leaning on you. Somebody who lifts Oh my goodness, you see them walk through a door and you don't even know that it's happening to you, but your spirits are lifted. It's a better day when that person comes along. Do you know somebody that if you're having a difficult time, if you could just get around that person, you know your spirits would be lifted? 
kind of like knowing there is somebody that no matter how good your day is, <laughs> if you got around them, they would be dampened. The question is not, who, how do you label the person to your right or to your left? The question I have is, can you hear Jesus call? You've heard me say, don't steal. That will never be enough. Our lives in Christ are not best described by what we are not, but by what we actually are. And Jesus says, lift. What is lifting anyway? I think it's very simply put. Lifting is the art, the act, of adding value to other people's lives. Adding value. Have you known somebody who even in the moment of their need, when you have supplied their need, they still found a way to add value to your life? It's an attitude. I'm going to suggest to you that your success will not be best measured by how much you make, what your title is, how far you're able to travel in this world, that your success in life will be best measured by, your, by my mindset and attitude and a sense that you today, no matter how you come here, you today have something to offer the people around you. There is value that you could add to those around you. It is a mentality, it's a mentality of generosity. So I'd like to just talk for a couple of seconds about some principles of this lifting if there are two people in the world, those that lift and those that lean, and we are called by Christ to lift, and you might wonder if this is true, but we're going to test it a little bit in these principles themselves, the very first of which is simply this, always, every good thing, always, always, always starts with God. You and I know that we are not just called for forgiveness, just called to change, just called to salvation. We are called into a relationship deep and wide with Christ to follow him. And in fact, he'd go further than that, to be him here on this planet, on this earth. Among those who are hurting, those who are desperate, those who don't know him, so we might wonder, if we're curious about what God calls us to, to take a good, hard look at God on this subject. I'm going to share with you a handful of little passages, and um, I love the wording used in the Message Bible for a number of them. Psalm 100 says this, For God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal always and Ever. Some lean, others lift, and this is a passage that says, all generous, in love, loyal always, and ever, always lifting. You, the, if you could get in the same space with God, you would be lifted up, no matter what you've done. 
You can see in your mind's eye, can't you, a Jesus who encounters a woman who's brought to him as a trap and a trick, and he doesn't shrink back, he doesn't fall away. Instead, he leans in and he lifts her up. This Jesus, all generous in love. Or as Psalm 146 would say, he's generous to a fault. You lavish your favor on all creatures. Romans in the Message Bible reads this way, scripture reassures us no one who trusts God like this heart and soul will ever regret it. You know, it's exactly the same no matter what a person's religion is, Jew or Gentile, Greek, background, whatever that may be. The same God is for all of us, acting the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls out for help. And amidst this, <coughs> you and I are called his body. You and I are described as God's advertising. So if we serve a God who lifts in these ways, generous to a fault, could it be that Jesus would go way past asking us not to steal somebody else's something and invite us to be the one who walks in the room and adds value. Not just to the one who's easy to add value to. Could it be the same Jesus that we could describe in these kinds of glowing terms who whenever he walks into the room, your day got better, would call us to be the ones who when we walk into a space, when we move into a town, somehow things just got better. For those in need, for those who didn't know they needed, Deuteronomy 15 says it this way, give freely and spontaneously. Don't have a stingy heart. Lift. Don't always lean. The way you handle matters like this triggers God. Your God's blessing in everything you do, all your work and ventures, you are God's generosity. What if <coughs> the world around us only thought of God as as generous as you and I are? In the moment they know in their heart they've blown it and they've blown it not just in every ordinary way but in the most shameful of ways for that's the way it feels to us, isn't it? And it's not just shameful, it's the thing that I've blown it on before. I'm a repeat offender. And then I've got to decide if this Jesus is all he's cracked up to be. Is he really one who would forgive even me? And the way I'm going to decide is when I watch how generous God's people are. Wow. It's one thing to walk into somebody's life and steal their hope. It's another thing to have hope and not release it. Lift. Be generous. I want to give you a question that I think is a worthy one to ask every morning. Tweak it just a little bit to ask every evening. Your morning question would be this, how can I add value today? Who, Lord, God, please send someone my way that I could add value to. To ask myself in terms of evaluating how this day went, 
Who walked into my life that I got to add value to? It can be done in the way that you not only speak to a child, but that you go down to their eye level and talk to them in the eye. It can be by listening to the person you already know what they're going to tell you. (laughs) Or giving up that extra moment of time. Oh yeah, generosity could easily have to do with your dollars. But I'm suspicious that if given a choice, Jesus would take our lips over our pocketbooks and our time over our money. Oh, that he could have all of us and have both. So what does it look like? What does it look like? I'm gonna just talk about a couple of principles. If you would like to be a lifter rather than a leaner as typified across your life, if you would like to have a little bit more development in the area of generosity, there are a couple of things that we find in all that, that God says and Jesus does. And the first one I'd like to suggest to you, though it needs a qualifier or two, is that lifters say yes. This is not a conversation about whether or not you should have personal boundaries. No, we could have that conversation, but that's not what this is about. This isn't, this isn't condemning the person who cannot, that, that needs to say no. One of the things that I've learned in a role like I am in, and you likely are in one too, every time I say yes to something, it probably ends up equaling a couple or three no's if your life is busy. But the question is, can you live in the attitude of yes? It isn't even exactly what comes out of your mouth. My mother, an accountant, a financial leader, and just a quintessential all-around great mom, when I or one of my siblings would go to her with a plan or an idea, mom, can we, very often we'd be met with the reasons why that might not be a great idea. Later in life, I would work at the same institution that she financially managed. And I knew that there were times when she was, I was gonna go and say, hey, I've been worrying, worrying about this, I've been thinking about that in this department that I am leading and I'm wondering if we could do something here. And then I would listen to all the reasons why we probably can't. But the thing is, my mom lived in the world, the inner world of yes in spite of her accounting background and all that she was doing there, which not every accountant even approaches it that way, mind you. But I knew something about my mom, and that is that while she would list off, because this is her personality, list off all the reasons this might not work, she would go from there to plot and plan and try to figure out how could I make this work. I've heard story after story from families of students that went to the school where she led the finances tell me about her sharing with them the difficulty of what's happening and how there is a problem with the finances and it may not be able to continue and then go and do all that had to be done so she could find donors and the money and the way so that this could be a yes. 
When you see the need around you, do you stockpile the excuses that allow you to live in no? Or can you, can I, can we gravitate toward a generosity of yes? Is it possible that there are times that it's even an act of theft to say no where I could say yes? Taking something that somebody could have, that maybe God wants them to have, and instead I take it for me. Hmm. Pastor Jim referenced this common, well-known favorite passage, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, not just to live more, but have the yes-ness of life, the fullness of life. You know, fascinatingly, there's a lot of study that's been done on the subject of regrets and what the things that we regret and how we regret. Many of the studies, and there's, there's a lot out there, but uh, quite a whole strand of studies on the subject of regret find their way back to one study in the 90s that looked at how we feel about action regrets versus inaction regrets. Now, just to be clear, action regrets would be like the day I, uh, around Christmas time, as a fairly little guy, my brother and I, we love G.I. Joes. Anybody here G.I. Joes? No? Okay, well, I've got one. Good. Think about G.I. Joe's, so we would receive potentially for Christmas a G.I. Joe. And uh, amazingly, the G.I. Joe's that we had were completely unarmed. I don't mean they didn't have arms. I mean there were no firearms involved in the package. And I learned over time that those packages did actually come with a little something to do with the person who was filling the role of Santa Claus at the time in our household. My brother and I had discussions and especially, so we would wander through the toy aisle of Sears. There was a really amazing toy, uh, toy aisle back in the day. I don't know if it was actually and Roebuck at the time, but anyway, some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you are gonna, uh, I think there still might be a Sears somewhere. At least, I don't know. Well, so we would wander through looking, and it, in, in that process, my brother and I, we had a little conversation as we came to the aisle where the G.I. Joes were, and there were a number of them that the box was open so you could actually see what you're getting in the box, and there was the G.I. Joe, there'd be a helmet, there was all sorts of like military clothing, and, and, and I mean, we were ready to, 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 I mean, go to war, to just be honest, my brother and I, at our little ages. <laughs> And we couldn't help ourselves, right? But just, I mean, we didn't even have one of those rifles, but to be able to, I mean, to just touch it. (laughs) And actually, it actually wiggled free from the straps that were holding it in. A couple of different models. My brother and I talked about this just to, Well, I wiggled one free and he wiggled a different model's firearm free and into our pockets they went that pre-Christmas day. Back at the house, I mean, and maybe you remember, 
some situation like this, I felt like the area was glowing as I tried to make it out of the house. I mean, into the house and out of that store and into our bedroom where we... And this created an issue now too because we're gonna play with these, but we need not to be seen. And we immediately started to feel awful. These, these two guns were sitting there on the floor and neither of us could even touch them. And we regretted our actions. Action regrets are those things that you've done that maybe you tried something and it didn't go right so you regret that you even tried. Maybe it is it went exactly how you thought but that was not what you should have done and so you regret those actions. It was a very short interval between getting home and trying to play with those guns <laughs> until we, we went to our dad and and told my dad what we had done, and we just were, I mean, we, he could see it. <laughs> it was one of those moments when, you know, you're trying to decide how to punish someone, and they're like, yeah, there's nothing that can be done to make life worse for him <laughs> right now. Aww. And so my dad led us through a conversation, well, what do you want to do about it? Well, we should take, we should, can, we, can you take them back, Dad? No. No, I, I can't but I'll go with you to take them back. These two little boys wander into Sears, two little plastic guns. And my dad gets the manager and uh, the manager has misread the situation. He thinks that my dad discovered that we stole something and is making a, a point and bring us back to face the music and the, and the manager decides he's gonna play this role well. There were conversations about jail cells and there was just all sorts of, I mean, till my dad stepped in and goes, no, I think, you, I think you misunderstand. This is their idea to bring these back and they're deeply regretful and if there's something they need to do, they're giving them back, but if they, if they need to pay for them, they will. See, inaction regret would be how I would have felt if we hadn't figured out how to return those guns. Action regret is taking it. Inaction would be not being able to or regret of not having taken them if I hadn't taken them. So which do you feel more keenly over the course of your life? And there's some interesting data. In the short term, after the events happen, an action asking her out on a date and it became a public knowledge that she turned you down and now you're embarrassed. Short term, this is far worse than not having asked her and wondering maybe she would have said yes. That's the short-term reality, but the long-term reality is this. We recover fairly quickly from the mistakes, the pitfalls, the thing you think is the worst thing that could happen in the world, the way we describe it that way, is often nowhere near the worst thing that could happen. I failed a test and now I can't even be a doctor. And 20 years later, you look back and you think, my life is good. The course was changed. But the one who always wondered, I think I should have gone as a student missionary for a year, and I, they keep bringing it up.
inaction, regrets, are in the same river as this idea of living a life of yes. I wonder about our regrets about our generosity, about lifting. I think it's quite likely that even an attempt to lift the life of another that fails will be regretted nowhere near that of looking back and realizing I had a chance to lift someone up that I didn't. Who could I add value to today? The second principle I just want to bring to your mind is that of sowing as a mentality, being the one who sows rather than the one who always reaps. We live in a world that preaches reaping. I'm not talking about like evangelistic series. I'm talking about what your life is about are the things that you can accumulate, the things that you can amass for yourself, that you can pile up for yourself. Back in the 50s, a gentleman began running a magazine and a company. Um, he became fairly famous. And then in the 80s, yeah, I know, some of you are going, whew, long time ago. But you'll recognize probably, even the youngest among us, I probably will recognize this bumper sticker from the 80s, he who dies with the most toys wins. <laughs> Malcolm Forbes was an extraordinarily wealthy man had unbelievable toys, preached this kind of, he was quoted as saying, greed is good and meant it. He who dies with the most toys wins. Here's the thing, he died in the 90s. And I, it's not gonna be surprising to you for me to tell you, he's dead. And wildly wrong. You could have put on the bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys probably has people he didn't want touching his toys now having his toys. He who dies with the most toys immediately has no toys. He who is aiming to die with the most toys is selling their lives short. But Jesus would say, what are you doing, Malcolm? Creating for your future, past this life, things that rust and moths will eat and destroy, and they're just toys. Can you hear, Malcolm, how infantile you sound? And Jesus would say, don't shoot for toys, go for treasure, heaven kind of treasure. Go for the kind of treasure that moth can't get at, that rust never weakens. Go for, oh, he who dies without the treasure of heaven is dead, dead. 
He or she who dies with nothing but the grace of Jesus has it all. Malcolm, even your toys. For they walk around with the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills calling them his princes and princesses. Shift mentality, if you've adopted it wrongly, to be the sower of seeds. That doesn't mean that harvest never comes, but the best way is sowing the seed and letting the harvester who understands how to harvest in a way that is eternal treasure, let, let him do the harvesting. The amazing truth is when you cast your lot with Jesus, the one who paid it all, he owns it all and he gives it all. Proverbs 11 in the Message Bible, verse 24 says it this way, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Larger and larger. I, I wouldn't have understood this nearly so well except to, and I've shared a thought about my mom, to live in the same household with my mom and my dad, and, and, and they chose a life of giving themselves away in all sorts of ministries. They decided at one point to shift into working with young people in high school. Spent over 30 years working in an institution where by policy they could not own their own home, could not build any equity for retirement. In the time period where everybody's wondering, will there even be any retirement left by the time we get there? And they gave and they gave and they gave and I never heard them complaining. And maybe they knew, maybe it would have been a surprise to them, but I feel like they knew what I didn't really know. And that is they were storing up some incredible treasure. Do you know if, I, if my father is coming to visit here with regularity, I have people come to me that I wasn't even sure they knew who he was saying, I heard your father's gonna be here. I really wanna see him, please, I wanna see him. And what happens when they see one another is usually there's some story back and forth because my dad has to be reminded why they even know each other potentially. And there will be a story about the fact that he was a teacher of one of their children or one of their parents or them themselves and you can tell the affection. My father lives in wealth. I can't go anywhere with my dad on a quick time budget. Because somebody who loves him that I didn't even know wants to say hi and love on him. Oh, cast seed. Sow seeds. And the harvest can take care of itself. And then there's this. My father is a pastor. Bible teacher, guidance counselor, but pastoral ministry. He's a multi-generational, so I come from a multi-generational line of pastors and missionaries and Seventh-day Adventists, conservative, old school, died in the wool. That's my dad. I remember sitting in a room, it's just him and me, and this is, this is probably about seven years ago, he and myself, 
And we're talking about an issue that our church is really, you know, pick a person, you stand up and talk, and you stand up and talk, and mmm, battle. A lot of battle on this particular issue. And so I'm talking with my dad about it, and at one point he just stops me and says, you know, about 75 years of age at the time, you know, the older I get, the fewer things I have any real certainty about. The older I get, the less sure I am of almost everything except one thing. The older I get, the more certain I am about this one thing. And that is that Jesus asks me to love people. That's what I know. Whether you're a person everybody expects we should love, whether you're a person who knows you need love, whether you're someone faking that you can do this alone or you are the most objectionable seeming person to a particular culture, it does not matter. All I know, my dad would say to me, and, and, and I will tell you, I grew up in a house where I knew my dad loved me. This was a man who defined love to me and yet I would tell you I watched him grow in his ability to love when you sow instead of being so concerned about the reaping something happens in you and Jesus grows up in you even the capacity to love some of us love as if it's a perishable item that if I give too much of it away I won't have enough for myself no sow it the way you have love is by giving it away and you know that's true because you've felt it before You've experienced the love of God. If you haven't, you sure deserve to. Live deeply into all the appropriate ways you're called to say yes. And gravitate toward sowing seed. I love the idea. This sowing of seed. As shared in Luke chapter 6, and it's an interesting take, one of the reasons on this subject I love the message so much is because Eugene Peterson was so generous with the word generosity and generous so that he translates Luke 6 verse 38 this way, give away your life, you'll find life given back but not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. So you've heard it said, thou shalt not steal, and I am not here to discourage you from that ethic. I think you should avoid stealing, but I think you should go for something more. Go for broke with the Jesus who came and gave everything for you. Be generous. Give it away. This love that you've been given 
Could it be that the world around us is searching for, longing for some counterculture place or way that shows that love is the way, not self-centricity. It's not who gets to die with the most toys. It's the person who gets to die having given the most love who wins. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be a light, bringing out the God colors in the world. If you're going to shine a light on this world, the light you're going to shine is the light of God, not the light of you, not my brilliance or my eloquence, but the love of Jesus is the light. And you and I are called to be his hands and his feet Could it be that the world around us, that we tell, look, this Jesus would forgive you of anything. That kind of generous love is not nearly so believable when it comes from the mouth of someone that others know is not particularly generous. Could it be that my generosity towards others, how I give away my time, how I lend my reputation, how I use my resources, could it be that that speaks to whether or not God will forgive you? Whether there's any truth to this idea that he will save you for free because he paid it all. It's another way to put it. You're here to be a light bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bears, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, under a bushel, no. I'm putting you on a light stand. So now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a hill with a light stand, shine shine keep open house be generous with your lives don't hold it back there isn't a lot of time left this isn't about us making it comfortable for ourselves here it's about us buying in sowing seeds being a part of treasure that moth can't get to So by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Yeah. I will experience life so much better in a life of generosity. You know what else? Some crazy reason. Jesus has decided that the convincing, compelling story he wants to tell to the world is told through my, through your generosity. So, let's pray about this. Lord God, Lord God. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've, we've heard it for sure. Thou shalt not steal. That's a box that I got to check today, but on the other hand, as I hear your voice call out to me, be generous. Your generosity gives validity to my generosity. Could it be that there's someone today that I need my eyes open to that I could add value today? So Lord God, I want to say yes to you. 
Enlist me, send me, show me the places to sow seeds of investment, adding value. We are yours. Claim the blessing of your presence. In Jesus' name.